Hi everyone, welcome to the Man Patriot podcast. My name is Dumo Denga. Uh, unfortunately, Mzuzo's not here today. He had to run some errands um, and all the best to him. But as always, guys, I'm pleased to have uh, Koketso Resane, uh, part of the Man Patriot team as well. How are you doing, Koketso? I'm doing great. Weather's changing, but uh, I'm unaffected so far. Let's keep it that way. Okay, brilliant. And I also got resident, our resident contributor, Mpiake Jamini. How are you doing, Mpiake? I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Excited about today's topic, about today's guest, rather. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and our guest today has got some very interesting views on this topic. Um, I don't want to um, mess up the introduction because I think he deserves a very good introduction. Yeah. So, guys, um, today we have a very interesting man. Um, Biaki told me about this guy last week and said, hey, Dumo, you need to have this guy on the podcast. So, guys, without any further delay, I'd like to introduce Hugo Kruger. How are you doing, Hugo? I'm good. Thanks yourself. I am, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, sitting all the way in France. I've been in prison or lockdown for almost two weeks now. So, getting a bit anxious. I hope it doesn't happen to you guys over there. Oh, hey, <laughs> I, I don't want that anxiety to be a bad thing. But look, uh, Hugo, let's just start with this thing. So is it true that you actually um, had this virus? Yes, I contracted COVID-19 last week and I am here and I have survived COVID-19, which is uh, remarkable because everyone told me I was going to die. Yeah. Oh, 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 sorry. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt you too much. Maybe Hugo could just describe his background. For those people who want to listen to uh, like uh, people's uh, you know qualifications instead of their arguments, so, that's, <laughs> okay, so they so know I, that he actually knows his stuff. <laughs> yes. Okay, since we know that the modern world works on credentials and not uh, skills, um, you know, basically I am a structural engineer and I work in France. I did my master's here in nuclear energy. So I can oh. add another, yeah, when I say nuclear, people think I'm intelligent, but it's, uh, it was not that special. Um, so I've got that one. And then, um, yeah, I have the fortunate ability or inability to speak German and French as well, which gives me insight into what's happening in that side of the world. And there's some very interesting things happening, especially in the French speaking world in French Africa. And I would hope to talk about that as well. Yeah, no problem, man. So okay, so you're on. So they they said you're gonna die. You survived. What did you do to survive? I did absolutely nothing. That's a remarkable thing. I took no medication. The doctor gave me only Panadu. I didn't even take that. And Panadu is when your fever gets too high. And within three days, I was fine. So um, I'm just gonna describe you the symptoms. First thing that happened is to know you've got this virus because it's a pandemic is the first thing is you lose your sense of taste and smell. So my fiance was making us very nice food and I didn't want to insult the food, but I said, I cannot taste a thing. And, uh, you know, so what I tried to do is I tried to salt a tomato. I couldn't taste a tomato. Um, So you lose your sense of taste and smell. That's the first symptom. Then three days later, almost nothing happened. I was full of energy. I could run around. I went out for a walk, probably infected people, which I was not supposed to do, broke French law. and then uh, afterwards, I uh, came back. Yeah, we'll cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be in French prison. I'm already in prison, so it's okay. So anyway, I, I was walking the one day, and then I just felt like I felt dizzy because of the high fever. And I felt like I was collapsing because I started bre- having breathing problems. Then I came back home. I went, made an appointment with a doctor. I said to him, doctor, I've had these symptoms. He's like, yes, you've got COVID. And seven days after 
finding out that you lose your sense of taste and smell. Um, seven days after that, you're either in hospital or you recovered. And I said, oh, well, because there's only two days left to live. You know, I have to phone my parents, everyone and tell them, guys, it's it's, it's sorry, man. Um, anyway, so I just said I, I that took nothing, no medication. That was a doctor's advice because let your immune system do the working for you. Yeah. And I was staying in, in bed, slept for 14 hours. Next day I woke up, fever started coming down. And since then it's slowly coming down. So that was the symptoms. So I survived COVID-19. Yeah. Oh, congratulations, man. Hey, yeah, man, Biake, Koketso, anything you want to say about that, man? Uh, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, it's good that you actually gave us this background. Uh, so, yeah, uh, maybe from our platform, we can kind of spread the word that, guys, if you do get sick, you will probably recover. I think that's the message that's actually not getting out to people. You know, in this part of the world, it's almost as if, you know, the way it's been put out is that if you get COVID-19, uh, it's tickets for you. Uh, start planning your funeral. Make sure your life covers policies up to date. <laughs> So I, I want to add something. This virus is a very feminist virus because it affects men worse than women. My fiance had the virus as well. She also lost some symptoms. She only had a slight fever and then she recovered. Yeah. No, she didn't even cough. And I'm oh like, wow, yeah, yeah, this thing is so anti-men. It's the ultimate feminist weapon. So uh, I think it's an advanced version of man yeah. flu, probably. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the first lesson. I mean, uh, you're not going to die of COVID. Um, you're not. You're even very unlikely to die, and I'll get that later. Of COVID, even if you have pre-existing conditions, and even if you're old, contrary to what we're being told. So my okay. thing is, I believe this is a panic. It's an overreaction, and I have the statistics and the data to back up that argument. If, uh, okay. Yeah, maybe we should uh, get into to, uh, to that data. Uh, because, uh, like, I remember I was watching a YouTube video this week and someone mentioned that uh, the, 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 the thing that makes COVID-19 so bad is that it's not, uh, it, it doesn't kill, it, it doesn't have the highest case fatality rates and it doesn't have the highest RO number, but it has a, a high enough RO number and case fatality rates that it, it's worse than anything else. It, it has the, the, the worst combination. If you, were to, if, you, if you were to take, let's say, you take a mean of the uh, uh, case fatality rate and the and the RO number, then you would probably see that it's, it's, it's probably the worst disease of, of all time or something like that. He was so, implying that, basically. So the, the, the first, let's get back to the background. This virus started in China, we all know. But more importantly, it started in Hubei province. And a lot of people tend to forget that. Hubei province has a population about the same size as South Africa. Only mm. 3,500 people died in Hubei. Not a lot of people died outside of Hubei. So if you just take that value. You say, okay, 3,500 divided by the population of Hubei times the population of South Africa, you come that the more or less 4,000 people would die of this in South Africa. I think because our population is a bit higher. That basic calculation has been holding true for every country in Europe, every single one of them, even the countries that didn't go into lockdown, such as Sweden. So my question is, if Sweden went into lockdown, or Sweden didn't go into lockdown, they have the same rate of people dying as the other people in the world, then why are we doing a lockdown? Is it necessary? Yeah. Um, this is WHO data, by the way. So these are the data which the government tells us is correct. And I just want to point something out. A lot of people are criticizing China's data. Um, I think it's misplaced. Why? Because it's very difficult to cover our bodies, even if you're a communist country. It is easy to cover up how many people have got the virus. It is easy to, to misinterpret the data. That's usually what politicians do. They take a value and they run with it and they say we're all going to die. But covering our bodies is very difficult. And um, I suspect that the data from China is not as faulty as a lot of people 
claim it to be. And the reason I say that is because the data in China, it follows the exact same curve in Italy, in Germany, in France, countries that don't lie, apparently. We all know governments lie, but <laughs> they lie less, right? Um, is, is it possible Is it possible to uh, do the same kind of analysis and come to the same conclusion without using Chinese data? Yes, yeah. if you take Italy as the baseline, you come to the same conclusion. So Italy so far is the worst hit country in the world per person. Um, all of Europe is still less than Hubei. All of America is still less than Hubei. So you're seeing more people in the United States dying and higher infection rate because they don't work from 33 million, they work from 300 million. So, yeah. or 53 million, I think, is Hubei, something of the sort. So the fact is it's all proportionate. Um, and this asks you the begs the question, why are we closing down modern civilization if we know how many people are going to die? So the reason why we started overreacting was that there was a document came in, coming out from Imperial College under a professor called Neil Ferguson. Now, if they should be the world's most, most hated man at the moment, I reckon it should be this guy. Um, Neil Ferguson predicted that this virus has a death rate of 3.5%. Now, to give you an idea, the 1918 Spanish flu had of the virus a death rate of 3.2, 3.3%. So this thing was as bad, if not worse, than the Spanish flu. And just a quick history fact, South Africa was the third most hit country in the world after that. A hell of a lot of people died in South Africa. I don't have the real numbers in my head right now. Um, so, you know, if you tell people, so th this meant that in the UK, with a population of something of six, 60 million or something of the sort, 500,000 people, half a million people would die if we trusted Neil Ferguson. Mm. Um, so if you tell a government half a million people die, it is sensible to close down the country mm. and try to get rid of the virus, right? So, so that, that, that's all, sorry to interrupt you, man, but that death rate, is it a, a proportion out of the people who get the virus or every, all the population? All the population. That was the mistake he made, okay? That was one of the many mistakes he made. The problem is he made it purely based on speculation. He used the R0 rate, which you just talked about. He did not look at the data. And now, last week, he revised his data to 20,000 people. Now, if you go from half a million to 20,000, I'm not a big statistician, but I think you're making a mistake. Yeah. Then he revised it again to 5,000. Now, the interesting sure. thing is, if you take that 5,000 people, that is exactly the same proportionate amount of people that would have died if we just followed the curve from Hubei. So he overestimated the risk by 150, which is a lot more, 150 times the amount of people who die. And as a result of his bad modeling, the WHO, the United States, the UK, France, all these countries, and I suspect South Africa as well, overreacted because we thought the Spanish flu is coming back. And now we are realizing it's not the Spanish flu, it might just be flu, maybe a little bit more than flu. So that response mm -hmm. is the difference between shutting down modern civilization and um, just telling the interns to work over the holidays in the hospital. That is the, yeah. the, grand, the, the scale of the mistake he has made. And we have all reacted on the exact same mistake. Okay, can I just like to ask you a final question on my side uh, before we move on to the next thing? As I, okay, you, you mentioned the r naught value, that he, he just looked at the r naught value uh, instead of looking at the empirical data. But then wouldn't someone be able to argue that the r naught value is based on empirical data? Well, that's tr that is true if you actually can fit your curve to what he tells us. And if you look at the data, um, I'm going to try and get you guys. There's a guy on on YouTube called uh, Peerless Reads. He's a statistician in the UK, and he was looking at the data, and he says every country tells us that he's out by a factor of 150. So his model is wrong. Plain fact. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's hectic, though. I mean, now... But now this Ferguson guy, like, um, what made him so 
believable because it well, seems he's like the head of department at Imperial College London and you know Imperial mm-hmm. College is a university which is ranked in the top 10 in the world if a very clever professor tells you a lot of people are going to die you're likely to believe him he had mm-hmm. a document signed by a lot of experts called epidemiologists and this is the funny thing epidemiologists are speculators they look at distribution of data <laughs> and they say it's like guys gambling on the stock exchange yeah. Yeah. and i'm saying here we have a deja vu of 2008 why did the 2008 credit crash happen because a lot of speculators jp morgan all these big banks they used what was called the black stocks model and the black stocks model basically said that uh, it was a second order derivative if i remember it correctly and that was the pattern yeah. that all investors must use to to gamble on derivatives and everyone was following this like a bunch of monkeys down the drain and nobody realized when it was a crash the model doesn't work so they didn't calibrate the model with data here we are seeing the same thing happening again and again last year in florida there was a bridge which collapsed and i'm a structural engineer and this bridge was done by a finite element model very complicated higher order differentiations but nobody had a bit of common sense that said if concrete is in tension it cracks Okay, and it doesn't have a lot of capacity and tension. It's got 10 times as much capacity and compression than tension. And this is why when the first wind came, the bridge collapsed. So I am seeing here, once again, a dangerous application of models which are not based on accurate data. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote by uh, statistician George Box. All models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is so true. I mean, even in like, um, like in any industry, um, even where I work as well. I mean, people use models to do whatever. And you find out that these models are like way off, just way off. And I remember I created a model the one time for the business that I'm in. And I just looked, What all I just did, I just took seasonal data and I just predicted the flows. And I wasn't way off. But then I saw some people using some other crazy stuff coming from some crazy statistics school and whatever. And their models are like, no, no, this is like way, way, way off. And like, and it goes back to what Impiaki was saying, you know, there's some are useful, which like my one, and the rest are just wrong. And, so and, it, and you see the same thing in climate change as well. <laughs> yeah, you see, my, my view is that... Um, you need to base your model on observations. Now, here's the yeah. biggest joke of this all yeah, for me. Exactly. There's a professor, and I'll get into him later, called Didier Raoult in the south of France. Now, this guy is not an epidemiologist. He's a virologist. So he's the world's most cited expert in infectious diseases. This guy knows about treating people. He's a doctor. You know, you should listen to this guy. He was on the council of Emmanuel Macron, but eventually walked out saying, these guys are doing something stupid. They're not listening to me. Okay, and his advice was this, guys, let's look at how many people died last year from infectious diseases, and more or less that should be how many people die this year from the coronavirus. Until date in Italy, more people have died last year than this year. So even these Hmm. exaggerated deaths are not based on fact. It doesn't justify the response. So we are basically shutting down the world for something we don't understand. And Didier Raoult is another guy. He is the guy behind the chloroquine drug which Donald Trump tweeted and Elon Musk tweeted. And uh, what he basically said is, guys, let's assume this virus is as bad as it is, although I think it's overreacting. How do you treat a virus? And he said, well, we need to understand first how a virus distributes. It does not follow an R0 model, a statistical model. He calls modelers Nostradamuses of our time. And I wonder, that's a <laughs> quote-worthy quote. <laughs> a guy yeah, I agree. And speaking as a modeler myself, I, I agree. You know, in the, in the past, we were, we were scared of prophets and preachers yeah. and, and guys telling us the end of the world. Here we've got modelers. It's the same type of thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these guys think Sorry, they're be okay. the preachers. 
<laughs> well, in my defense, my my models are heavily based on empirical data since it's machine learning. So, but anyway, <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that to crash and we'll have the same conversation. But so far, so good. Um, so yeah, the this guy said, okay, let's understand how a virus spreads. So he's like, forget about your models. Let's use common sense, okay? Which seems to be lost in this whole conversation. How does a virus spread? It spreads because you are giving me the virus. You're coughing in my face. Mm. So you are the carrier of the virus. So how about I stop you from carrying the virus? I kill the virus in your body. So he came up and he said, well, as soon as somebody loses their sense of taste and smell, let's give them a treatment for chloroquine, provided they have no other complications that can interfere with the working mm. of the drug, etc. Or we just isolate the person. So we need to do mass testing. If we test everyone, I tell you, you've got the virus, you stay home and you get mm. chloroquine. Chloroquine kills the viral load. Then people were saying, well, what's the proof of chloroquine? And he said, well, you know what? The Chinese already in January told us this. Chinese virologists are the world's experts in virology. In January, they already said chloroquine has been used for treatment. The South Koreans listened to them and used it in the, guide, in the guidelines. Yes, South Korea tested a lot of people, but they also treated people with chloroquine. Yeah. Um, but he said we're making a mistake because now, in, unfortunately, in the South African guidelines and most of Europe, they're only saying you can use this drug for severe cases. But the, but the amount of uh, chloroquine you need in a severe case will probably kill you. So you need to yeah. use it for early symptoms. So yeah. this doctor, De Rahul, and he's the old hero in France and the French world because of this. He says, well, um, screw you, Emmanuel Macron. And he's going rogue. And he basically ignored all French regulations and he works in Marseille. Marseille to date is a city which has not completely shut down. 2.5% of the population has been tested and a few old people died of the virus. Nobody's in ICU. So he said to stop people from coming to ICU, that is the problem, we need to treat them early and yeah. we can kill the virus in their body. Then we don't overload our hospitals. Now that to me sounds a lot more sensible yeah. than calling in the army and the police and you know, telling people to stand two meters away from each other. Test everyone and stop the virus. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very obvious solution. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. one country listens to him, and this is the country I think that's going to beat all countries. Okay, It's not going to be South Korea. It's not going to be Germany. It's not going to be China. It's going to be Senegal. Because the guy from Senegal who is uh, was a student of this doctor, he was the, also the professor who worked in the Ebola crisis. So he understands infectious diseases from a practical point of view. Mm. And he has taken the advice of Dr. Ahult Anyone in Senegal who shows early symptoms gets treated. And so far, they've only had military curfews, I believe, you know, go off on and off, but they have not shut down the country. And Senegal has a much lower death rate than we do in South Africa, actually, per person. Hmm. So yeah. that's the country I'm watching. But, you know, they have money problems and they might have issues testing everyone. But the point is, treat people on, on early symptoms. Don't shut down modern civilization. You get rid of the viral load. The virus stops spreading and we can go on with our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and... You know, it's uh, I, that sounds very practical to me. It's just now w what actually happened, you, as you mentioned, guys actually went on a, a lockdown rampage. And not only um, it may not work, I'm not saying it's guaranteed to work, it might not work, but now the civil liberties have been taken away. And um, it's, and it's, so and it's kind of stupid now. That, before we get to civil liberties, I think we'll speak about <laughs> now. Um, Let's just ask the question, basically, does a lockdown work? Well, it yeah. works in totalitarian China because they took mm -hmm. Chinese guys, threw them in the house, locked, knocked their doors closed with, with nails. Probably guys died of the trauma. 
their suspicion that the Chinese used treatment which wasn't nice 100% and they died of the treatment, not the virus. Lots of human rights abuse, abuses. I don't think anyone in a modern society would like to be treated like that. Yeah. So that's obviously not the solution to imitate. Um, unfortunately, all governments looked at China and were like, wow, let's do what they're doing and let's not listen to our experts in virology. Then, you know, um, I'm looking here in France and it's, like, it's now Saturday, but every day out of the window here, I saw kids playing outside, people playing soccer, people disobeying the rules. The police are tired of enforcing these rules. In the first week, they were scared and panicked and yelling at everyone like in South Africa. Second way, week, they were all accepting bribes to buy smokes and to, you know, let us go. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm telling so, uh, you, knowing South Africa, it's going to be like that. I can. Well, it's see already it. happening. I mean, yeah. I know of people in, uh, in in Cape Town who are telling their domestics to um, just, you know, take a bag, go to the shop, and then come back with the bag and say you went to the shop so you can come to work. Right? Um, I know of people in Pretoria, where I'm from, tell me that uh, yeah, the police are already accepting bribes for cigarettes. You know, it's happening. Okay. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing that uh, we actually that's need more law breaking now. Like to actually keep people from going hungry, we need to break the law and actually keep the economy going in, in however much we can. So I, I hope yeah. that the black markets keep going because that yeah. might actually save us from total catastrophe. Um, telling people not to go to work. I mean, it's easy to say that when you sit in a home and you work from home. Most people mm. in the world don't work from home. How are they yeah. going to live? You know, and telling them their yeah. job's not essential. Well, it's essential to them. They might starve. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's another thing, you know, um, I, I was on the ZACP uh, group and we had a discussion there. And then I think there was, this, there was this dichotomy that was being put. It's either they were saying no lockdown or there is a lockdown. And if you say no lockdown, the virus is going to spread so crazily. Um, but as you mentioned here, you're saying that that is not the case. So I'm, I, I'm just thinking, like, what, what do you have to say to guys like who think that we need to actually have a lockdown? in order to really stop this virus? Well, I, I think they need to start thinking for themselves because yeah. um, how are you going to enforce this in South Africa? Let, let, I mean, take those township areas, take India. I was in India last year. People are thousands and thousands of people at markets every day trying to trade and make a living. Now you see Indian police walking around, beating those people with sticks, okay? This is not just happening in South Africa. And you're like, what is gonna happen if the first guy is going to throw a rock back at the policeman or the army you know you're going to have chaos and you know i always say my father was in the apartheid army in the 80s a lot of things which went wrong back then you know in those township areas was they called in the army to do what was essentially the police's job because yeah. the police couldn't handle it anymore and as a result we all know the chaos that happened yeah. now one thing that I find remarkable from the Germans is that um, before this chaos started, the German virologist, once again, a virologist is advising the Germans, you know, not the epidemiologist. And he said to the guys in the government, listen, we need to know this is the first time since the Second World War that we're asking Germans not to leave their homes. Unfortunately, I don't see any introspection like that from Becky Kelly or people in South Africa. It's yeah. just, I'm going to beat the hell out of you, going to take you, you know, you know, Scops and Donner and whatever they say. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. It, it's, it, it's, it's actually it's striking. Yeah. It's actually striking because you see soldiers being deployed in townships, soldiers making people, torturing people, making them do physical exercise. And I'm like, can't no one see that this is exactly what people are complaining about with apartheid or is it because it's just color? If, 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 if the colors match, then we are okay with everything. <laughs> yeah. So here's yeah. a funny story, right? Um, so, uh, and I feel guilty for saying this, but uh, I recently uh, uh, acquired the services of a new barber. So I'm still in the guilt phase. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, but my new barber, he's from uh, he's from the Palabora area, I believe. And uh, there's a military base there. And uh, just before our lockdown began, people were sharing videos of what looked like, uh, I wouldn't call them tanks. I'd just call them armored personnel carriers on the move in the town of uh, Palabora. And the guy was saying that, yeah, no, I'm from the area. Uh, yeah, those guys at that base have never seen action. That base has never seen action since, yeah, in a very long time. So, you know, he's, his concern as someone from the area who's got family back there was that, you know, these guys might just use us as an opportunity to finally, you know, see some action, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah uh, and this is a guy who's just, you know, I mean, he, yeah, he, he's a barber. He's not, uh, he's not a member of the police force or the police service. Rather, you know, this is just an, the average man on the street who, who's basically saying that's his concern, right? How many yeah. people are thinking that? Uh, what if there actually is a little bit of merit to this in in believing that, you know, for some of the people there, yes, they're soldiers, but they're people first and foremost. What if some do actually see this as an opportunity to finally put your training to use? You know, so well, yeah. I, when you I'm worried that, about that. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about yeah. the, uh, the the soldiers thinking they're the police and the police thinking they're the soldiers because they don't seem to know yeah. the difference at this stage. Yeah. Um, you know, in France, I, I mean, the police was yelling at us in the first week and they're more scared than the people are. You're telling everyone a virus is coming to kill you and the police was yelling. I said to the one guy, listen, you don't yell at me like that. And he's like, oh, you can't talk to me like that. The virus is coming. You know, his head was totally exploding. Um, (laughs) It's it's, 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 it's sad to see it. And You know, what's sad is that it's happening in countries where, I mean, I think we were stupid to think it can't ever happen. But countries which you wouldn't think of would do this to Mm. their own populations. It's happening in Italy, in France, in Germany, in South Africa. I mean, these are stuff we moved away from but it's as if you know when the panic comes in we go back to what we've always been doing which is killing each other yeah 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 no that that's that's true yeah no it's a it's a it's an interesting situation i mean like i mean even now when i was just watching some videos i think it was in kenya I saw this one guy carrying a whip and he was hitting, hitting everyone saying, saying one meter, one meter, one meter. <laughs> I think, I, I, and then here's the thing. This is another thing that I also noticed. It's not even the cops. They are people who are aligned with this type of thinking and they also want to snitch yeah. and not only snitch, but also be the law as well. Like, yeah, what do you think, think about you, that? He's a, he's a yeah, Maasai what, warrior. And uh, from my limited knowledge, they, they, they yeah they they receive a certain level of respect in society you know so yeah oh. him going around whipping people is uh, and uh, them following his command is them actually showing that respect I take it so yeah you can yeah, do that you, you can see, get away with that this situ- this situation is going to end because um, oh. I think people are not going to respect the authorities anymore yeah. after this yeah. and uh, I would not want to be the South African government after this because we have now eventually bankrupted the country we adopted the strategy of getting the army in not testing people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were bankrupt before this was going to happen anyway. So now we're really in the red. Hopefully SAA is dead right now. That might be the only shining light to all of this. Um, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> like we are now going to go back. I mean, my father stays in Polokwane. And um, he told me he knows about four companies already that closed completely because they canceled this Maria track. Just because, <coughs> you know, that's the peak season. The company's closed down. They've already given people UIF papers. And, you, yeah. know, you know, the government is not... 
uh, government's bailout or whatever they're going to give us, or you, or if all this employment is not going to be enough money. 1.2 yeah. million French have already applied for unemployment benefits. Sure. And in the US, it's the highest rate since the Great Depression. So we have basically shut down modern civilization because of a model based in Imperial uh, you know, College UK, based on bad you know, application. And, yeah. you know, this is the tragedy of all of this is because the politicians, I think, didn't understand what they were doing and everyone yeah. was scared and were like, we have to react. And, you know, as if, you know, reacting is sometimes better not than just thinking it through. I mean, the sensible countries in this to me is Switzerland, it's the Netherlands, it's Sweden. Sweden doesn't do anything. They just said, this is not serious. We look at the data, it's not going to happen. So they're the control group for the world and they seem to be doing better than anyone else. Um, the Netherlands had a partial lockdown, closed the schools, universities. They tested a few people here. They tried to get people to get humanity, immunity at the site. Uh, Switzerland did something similar and then they just stopped and said, you know what, this is not serious. Yeah, so the, yeah. the countries that are serious, they don't do much. Um, the countries that are making a theater out of this, they are going to destroy themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I just, um, I had this debate on Facebook about like, um, about again, what I mentioned earlier with lockdown versus no lockdown. So now the, the thing is that now guys are asking me, okay, Dumo, what would you have done given South Africa? What would we have done? So I said, I said, okay, you know what? What I would have done is maybe again, I would have, and, and maybe I know Piake would not like this idea. But um, <laughs> I said I would close the borders, right? But um, I'll close it at a specific date, all right? And then, but before that, we get guys to test. We need to have excess supply of healthcare in the market. So what I was saying is that we need to test everywhere. Guys coming in, they're getting tested. Schools, tested. Corporates, tested. You know, like the CBD, for example. Like there are a lot of businesses in the Joburg CBD. We can send you know testing stations there guys we just say okay we're having a mass test day today like for example you find yeah. that uh, with some medical aids um some companies are associated with medical aids right and then the medical aids will come for a wellness day you know there's that one discovery they'll do that they'll come and have a wellness day so you're telling me you can't do that at a corporate just to get yeah, everyone my, my mother's company did exactly that uh yeah they did exactly that and mm -hmm. uh yeah she think well to her it's like getting yourself tested for free <laughs> oh it's like hiv exactly. now your status you know it's uh, but again yeah. from those testing we have actual data now where you can say right in this building there are 800 people give or take and from the 800 that we've tested zero infections as yeah, an example so you you can also overdo testing and this is probably true of germany uh, where they're testing now half a million people per week, German efficiency, and they want to up that to 200,000 a day, which would be, what, 1.4 million a week. Okay. I mean, that's serious testing going on. Um, but the problem is they've realized that the Germans have tested some people twice because you've really overdone yeah. it, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the issue. Yeah, and but that's still more efficient. Uh, yeah, and it sounds inefficient, but uh, for me, it's still more efficient than it, putting an economy than... on lockdown. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, no, it's... No, almost almost anything is better than like I was I was debating with someone who supports a lockdown yesterday, and they made a ridiculous argument. That's okay. I said to them, okay, what you could do is I uh, extend the number of beds, like get more beds in hospitals. He says, no, that's going to cost a lot of money. I'm like, <laughs> better than shutting so... down the economy. <laughs> oh. Like, you know, and and, and and this is the foolishness of it is that people just don't understand like. What, how we can actually work together and pull yeah. in resources to, um, and, and, and it doesn't even have to be central. It doesn't have to be central at all. It just needs to be that people take initiative. And that's why I'm thinking, 
Like, I mean, even at the corporates, I mean, guys, you know how many people, it's not only the office people, there's the security guard, there's the cleaner, all of those people, you test all of them there. And like, you know, you, you got a good base and these people, they live like, you know, the guys that probably live, work in the offices, they work, they live close by, the other guys probably live in Soweto and so forth. It'll give you some good analysis on what to do next. But from what I can see, none of that has been done. It has been, okay, I'm scared. I'm going home. Anyone, everybody's got it. And, and, and yeah. now let, let's well, just go crazy and just shut down the whole thing. So I, I would have agreed with mass testing in January when we didn't know how many people die of this virus mm -hmm. and we all thought it was the Spanish flu coming back. That made sense. But now with revised figures, there was a, a, a article in the Wall Street Journal the other day where they said we don't know the denominator. Uh, so, you know, as you know, percentages are what uh, um, it's basically a fraction, right? So the, the denominator, yeah. the smaller it goes up. At the moment, we in France and in Spain and Italy, they're not testing everyone. France is actually testing less people than South Africa a day. And they're wondering why lots of people have the virus. Um, so the only statistics that are captured on Worldometer, which everyone is watching, is severe cases. The only two countries that you can trust for test rate is Germany and South Korea. And we know the Germans are over-testing, so they might be on the, you know, overestimating, underestimating the result. Um, the other problem is that one third of the people with this virus are asymptomatic. So we have this virus, we can spread it, but we don't know that we've got it. So this is why lockdown doesn't work, because we're all going to hug our parents and grandparents thinking that we are not having the virus and we're going to infect them if we don't get tested. Um, so that that is a bit of a concerning one. And then in France, you have seen that actually lockdown increases the rate of the virus. It works counter to what people are thinking. I, for example, got COVID at the supermarket. We all have to buy groceries. So we're all going to the mm -hmm. supermarket. We're all going to infect each other over there yeah. unless we sterilize the hell out of that place. Uh, you know, I, I don't see that happening in South Africa. Um, so it's it's nonsensical what is happening. It's just a response out of pure panic. And then there is something more insidious is that um, the UK government went into lockdown exactly at the point when the virus was at its inflection point. So to explain how a virus grows, you will hear all over the internet the virus, the virus grows exponentially. It's complete nonsense. A virus follows what we call a logistics curve. And it's a, you can model it with a log normal distribution. Yeah, sure. yeah, um, yeah. Log normal is not a double every two days. It's something like double every four days, but it curls over. It's like a ball rolling yeah. over a hill. So France, Italy, Spain, UK, if you take uh, already at its inflection point, so if you take the amount of deaths, okay, because that's the only thing we can be certain of is how many bodies are counted. Forget about infection, all these things. So you take the amount of deaths per 100,000 people in a population and you draw a curve of that for every country. And you will see that Italy, France, Spain has already curled over. The UK was curling over at the point it went into lockdown. So there's a lot of speculation in the UK and I, you know, that the government knew about this. Ferguson knew about his mistake and then he said go into lockdown because lockdown is going to force the numbers down when actually he realized it was the proportion mistake he made. So that is a case of weapons of mass destruction. Government is lying to you. And I suspect that we are all, you know, there's something between lying and incompetence going on at this stage because the governments, I think, have realized the mistake they made and now they don't know how to tell us. Yeah, yeah. No, true. Like, uh, they, they need someone to play. Oh, sorry. That's actually no. a very good point because I was reading an article earlier this week where someone made the point that uh, like a, a, a flu or any uh, respiratory virus like this, that uh, like there's never actually been an infection rate among the entire population that's greater than 15%, even for the Spanish flu. 
That's, I, yes. I found that I found that interesting because I, it jazz with what you are saying right now because that's what you would expect with logistic growth. Like you would expect a, an initial an, an initial period that looks like a, that that looks like a, a exponential growth and then it, it tapers off like you said. So Do you guys see you, my screen? Yes, yeah, I, I can see it. it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I want I want to show you guys something just from the data. This is Worldometer, you know. Now keep in mind, uh, these statistics cannot be compared with each other because they test differently. Some of this, but this is Italy. What yeah. do you see here? It's flattening. Yeah, it's okay. starting to, it's starting yeah. to flatten out. Yeah, flatten out. Okay, yeah. so when was it flattening out? This is linear logarithmic. It was already flattening out over here. It already started yeah. to flatten. We can go over here maybe. 29th of February. Yeah. So all these days are gone. Okay. So I. Uh, so maybe maybe it's just to explain for people uh, logarithmic graphs. Like if it's a straight line, it's exponential. If it's not a straight line, it means that it's actually uh, the growth is slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. I actually want to get into well, this is my girlfriend's Facebook page. I'm on her computer, so if you just excuse me, that, I want to go into Peerless Reads, which is the guy who's doing all the statistics for us. Uh, she's Iranian, so that's Farsi. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, so you want to even if, if wanted to. So this is the guy who does the yeah, let's flip it. I cannot find his so this is this is a UK guy called Andrew Mater who's using amazing statistical models on Facebook. Okay. Mm. And he has shown a curve. Now let me try and find it over here because you see this happens when I'm on a different computer now. Yeah. Um yeah. He has done basically log normal distributions, looking at only the deaths per capita, okay? And he has shown basically, um, uh, you know, when countries are at their peak. And basically his conclusion is we are shutting down the world for 2.5 days of death. Because if 5,000 people die in the UK, remember 1,200 people die every day in the UK. So that's about two and a half days worth of deaths. And we're shutting down the countries for weeks. Yeah. So, uh, I think this is the guy, Peerless Reads. Yeah, there we go. So he's, I encourage everyone to see his videos, okay? This is a guy, Andrew Mater. And I'm just going to quickly see if I can forward you because this is on his videos. This is the curve I was looking at. Okay, I see. If you see this yeah, curve. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyone who tells you that China is lying, um, this is China, okay? But that is wrong. People looking at China and saying they're lying. They're not looking at Hubei. Hubei is the... Purple one. Yeah. Okay. So the green is Italy. Only Italy is exceeding Hubei. And they suspect that's because they're counting the bodies wrong. In Italy, they're counting everyone is dead at this stage as if they die of coronavirus. <laughs> they, <laughs> you're looking okay. at Norway and Sweden. So I want to show you Sweden. This is Sweden. Sweden started curling over before countries that went into lockdown. So that's mm -hmm. weird. I mean, we are told lockdown works, but the evidence suggests that it doesn't. Mm, yeah. uh, this is the UK. The UK went into lockdown at this point exactly when they were curling over. So my question is, have they been lying to us or just didn't they know they were lying to us? Uh, they yeah, damn socialists. Yeah, them socialists. I don't know what they are. Sweden is here. There was a curve for South Africa. I don't see it at the moment, but it's on its site. Okay? South Africa is not curling over yet. We are still climbing. So it's going to be a few more weeks before we start curling over if we follow the same trajectory. And there's no reason to assume that we are any different humans than they are. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a bit of an open question on the HIV thing. What does it do with people that are immune compromised? Yeah. And we simply don't know. But yeah. I suspect the best thing is to treat them early as opposed to late, you know? Yeah. And so, as opposed to saying stay at home. As a, you know, staying at home is just going to spread the thing. It's it's blatantly stupid at this stage. Germany also That's has... Actually, yeah. 
So I just wanted to throw it in there. That's, uh, that's one thing that's been on my mind, actually, to say when you tell people to stay at home, you're actually, in a way, discouraging them from actually going out there and getting tested. It goes into what Dumu was saying as well, to say everyone should have just gone to work and then, uh, yeah, strike a deal with uh, maybe some of your medical aid providers to actually get everyone tested as they're at work. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're right on that. And just, as I say again, these data, this is not made up sucked out of the thumb modeling data. This is WHO's own data. It's nothing special, right? Yeah. These are the stuff we are told is official. And I, I spoke with Andrew, um, he's in the UK about this, and I said, how do we I, how do we know that we trust China's data? And he said, well, they follow the same trajectory. And he said, he's had years of experience working in, uh, you know, with biological testing and things of this sort and financial modeling. He just had a session. He said, his experience has been governments don't lie about the amount of dead bodies. It's very difficult for them to cover it up. Yeah. It's yeah. the politicians that take those bodies and then they exaggerate it because they don't look into, see it as if a proportion. I mean, take into account, since the coronavirus started, 1.3 million people died worldwide. Mm. Okay, And the reason is a lot of people die, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we don't hear about those deaths. We don't shut down the world because, you know, there's 1,200 people that die in the UK every day. We just, yeah. you know, life goes on I and mean, people have to die, unfortunately. If people are born, they die. Um, well, so this is, is such a, I don't know if it's misunderstanding from government, if it's incompetence, or if it's just pure propaganda. But there's a mix of the two going on at this stage. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to uh, like this justification for a lockdown. We are told that is to prevent hospitals being overwhelmed. Now, yeah. my question, like, uh, just feeding off what you just said now, Hugo, uh, let's take AIDS, for example. AIDS definitely overwhelmed our healthcare system in South Africa. Why didn't we shut down for AIDS and just stop people from having sex and say, stay at home, don't have sex. If you find you having sex, we're sending the army after you. Why did we do that? And don't we care about our people? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's not a bad it. idea if I was a totalitarian. <laughs> I mean, the, the HIV one also we know started because Dabum Mbeki just ignored the problem. He thought it wasn't yeah. serious. Yeah. You know, if yeah. he just gave yeah. people condoms from the beginning, a lot of few people would have had it. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is this is how the governments react. I mean, uh, I spoke to Rational Standard to Nicholas Woodsmith about this a few weeks last week, I think it was, and I said to him, just remember that my first assumption is always that any government lies to me. That's the first thing you need to do. You know, my my the the the, the guiding principle in my life has been I always assume that my government's lying to me, and then you know I try and look for evidence to disprove that fact. And that's very difficult, you know, whether it's the French government, the UK government, the uh, South African government, they all are very consistent in how much they lie. Yeah, and but also a lockdown is delaying us from getting immunity. So as soon as we cancel the lockdown, then we experience the surge we were trying to stop in the first place. So yeah. I just, we, just explain to me how that works. So yeah, you get immunity. Um, as soon as you have a virus, you obviously get antibodies, yeah. in, which makes you immune from getting it. Or if you get it again, it will be a lesser form of the virus. Yeah. You know, we see this with measles and kids, for example, before we had vaccinations and things for this stuff. So um, yes, you can survive this without taking any treatment, like I've done. And as I say, if we're locking people down, and let's assume it doesn't, it stops the spread. My yeah. first question to the people in France was, um, do you guys know that? The second wave of the Spanish flu is the one that healed everyone, not the first wave. First wave was bad, but the second one was catastrophe. Uh, catastrophe. Now we're closing down society. We assume we're going to lock down the virus. Let's say we do it. And then the first guy comes from China with the Chinese or COVID virus again. And um, what's going to happen then? He's going to reinfect us. Are we going to close down the world again? I mean, so we were a much poorer country, much less able to deal with this problem. 
So locking down to me makes no sense. If you want to have some partial lockdown, I can understand that some people are panicking and maybe governments have to show they're doing something even though it doesn't work. Yeah. I can understand that to an extent, but there's no reason for why able-bodied people cannot go to work. If you have underlying conditions or HIV and AIDS and stuff like that, yes, you need to be careful, mm -hmm. but also test people and get the treatment out. Yeah. So. Like, cool. mm. No, the I just wanted to uh, follow up on, on the lockdown itself. I sorry, Jumo, to interrupt. No problem. Uh, since, since, since we know that we are uh, most probably going to get a, a second wave, okay, fine. But then also in South Africa, it seems our lockdown is particularly stupid because we did it in, in the autumn. Like in winter, winter is coming up. Shouldn't we have done this lockdown in winter if we are going to do it anyway? Well, I think the South African government is banging on the fact that it's Easter and over Easter fewer companies are open and they're not making yeah. a lot of profit. So, you know, maybe that's the semi-sensible thing they're doing. Um, but, you know, then again, they don't tell people, they tell people you cannot buy cigarettes and alcohol. Now, if you want to make South Africans, the Muren, you know, really yeah. angry, you're, you need to tell them not to get their cigarettes and alcohol. So exactly. in France, at least, they have they, they classified cigarettes as an essential good because a lot of French people smoke and they've realized that you don't <laughs> feel that angry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> wow. No, but it's, it's, we, we joke about it, but it's actually true. It's, it's cigarettes and, and drugs generally are just, they, 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 they are essential to some people because it's a crucial part of your mental health for some people. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Try, try stop smoking or try stop eating sugar for a week. Yeah. You get very grumpy and angry. Yeah. And now you want to yeah. tell me I cannot leave my house? I, you know, we have already seen in France that domestic violence has gone up by something like 70%. It's yeah. gone up in South Africa yeah. as well. Because, oh. you know, you, the people are inside their home all day long. They, they, they're boiling over. And this is where they can smoke and drink, you know. So um, all these problems are going to escalate. And, uh, you know, I make the statement more people are going to die from the measures taken to prevent the virus than the virus, whether it's in economy or whether it's just the police. Because so mm -hmm. far on record, South Africa is unique that we have killed more people than the virus, you know, just from <laughs> security forces. Just, jump, and maybe like, just invading property, in fact. Yeah, even maybe like the police is the virus, yeah. <laughs> Maybe oh, just geez. to develop this, that, that, that uh, seasonal point a little bit is, do we have any evidence that the seasons make a difference? Because it seems to me that just as a layman looking at it, the southern hemisphere seems to be much less hit. Because like I saw the, uh, people sharing P, uh, screenshots of a dashboard showing that South Africa is already starting to flatten the curve. But the people who they were comparing us to were all northern hemisphere countries. Could you care to comment on that, Hugo? Yeah, I saw the same thing where they compared us to Australia, South Africa, and I can't remember, it was a third country, New Zealand, I believe, and we more or less have the same rate. So yeah. there is yeah. some truth to that. We also know that tropical countries are less hit, but there's no uh, causal link yet. And it's an associative study, so be very careful to make random conclusions from that. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure on that, actually. Um, uh, can, can I maybe speak in on that? So. Yeah, just from my knowledge, I mean, Southern Hemisphere does have uh, fewer numbers on in terms of the global population by a long shot. So there's that maybe to consider. The other thing as well is population density in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, Brazilian favelas are pretty much uh, the exception, uh, the anomaly in this, but population density in the Southern Hemisphere is nowhere near that of the Northern Hemisphere as well. So there's also that to consider too. So again, uh, yeah, uh, by comparing the two, I don't think it would be a more, I don't think it would be really accurate to say how is South Africa doing in relation to a country that's not only in a different season, if season does count, but also looking at things like population density and those such dynamics as well. Uh, for and me, yeah, age, I would... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, age as well. So yeah, that's that's those are really uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Those are really 
points of information that I would throw out the window if I really need to look at, look at doing a meaningful comparison. Yeah, yeah so exactly. I, uh, those things don't, yeah, I mean, you cannot make any conclusion from them. It's just there's a correlation and uh, maybe, maybe not. That's basically what yeah. you can say. Um, yeah. I know just coming back to Italy and Spain, the reason they have so many people dying in Italy is, um, and this was something I didn't know beforehand, is that Italy has the dirtiest air in Europe. It's like the China of Europe. So they have every year lots of people dying from respiratory diseases over there. Um, and this was given by uh, not an idiot, a professor uh, Bachti from Germany um, in Mainz, I believe it was. And he wrote a letter to Angela Merkel saying what you're doing is utterly absurd. And this is an expert once again in infectious diseases. You know, so I feel that the experts are telling us not to do it. It's just when listening to the idiots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as always. Yeah. And that's always the case the, the guys with yeah. more political clout have the biggest mouths and the and the most influence and then they just come with their nonsense here it's crazy i mean it's like confident, I, it, you know? yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and and the thing is that now uh, i'm just wondering in retrospect like as you mentioned you you said the anc don't want to you said the anc uh would probably would not want to be in power after this because of the destruction that this uh, lockdown is going to cause but also, I mean, remember beforehand, the ANC was also willing to, you know, take our land without compensation, introduce the NHI and, and other ridiculous yeah. policies as well. So <laughs> do you think these guys are actually going to push ahead with this after this lockdown? Well, a there is an important principle of, in politics, which they say, never let a good crisis go to waste, you know, they call crisis and Leviathan. Um, <laughs> so I would not be suspicious. Uh, suspicious, um, you know, if the ANC tries to push through with things that they normally won't do during peacetime, which we would normally stop them to do. Yeah. But I think that they have over, with this, like they came in with such a big bang and overspending that I think they've stopped themselves in their own tracks. And I hope that's the case. Um, you know, trying to take people's lands who've got weapons at this stage, I don't think that's a very wise thing to do. I mean, I cannot predict how that's going to end, but I don't know of any farmer that's not well armed at this stage. Um, so, you know, good luck to them if they want to try and do so. Um, the other thing is they're going to find themselves in a legal tangle up with much less resources than they had after before going into the crisis. I mean, and then the other fact, we are downgraded. The RAND is tanking at this stage. It's the lowest the rank has ever been in history, in history you know. Mm -hmm. I've just became, you know, three times richer. No, no not third, like uh, 1.5 times as rich. You know, one third of my money have just gone up uh, just because I earn in euros and not in RANDs. So, um, you know, you've got uh, all these problems they're going to face. Whether they want to do it, yes. I think the ANC has made it clear they want to nationalize and do all these things. But... Whether they can actually do it, that's a different question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think for me the can part will be the difficult part because of the fact that um I think that you know we've got a lot of brave fighters in this country who are going to resist Freedom it. Fighters, in my yeah. Well no no, no not the <laughs> not the erratic foolish fighters, no. Okay. They're also known as the EFF. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I'll be honest on that, Duma. I think I back you up there, and uh, there's there's just always a part at the back of my head that says, uh, "Listen, uh, over and above everything, I really do trust that uh, Grayston Drive will actually, you know, uh, put on their superhero helmet and uh, go and fight the government on uh, yours and mine's behalf." <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I think the, the, the unsung heroes at this stage is the taxi industry. We just said to hell yeah. of you guys, you know. Um, exactly. 
and the guys in formal settlements, it's the middle class people that are hiding in their rooms, uh, which yeah. is you know quite ironic because they don't have so much to lose. You know, once again, if you have all you have to lose is the middle bit of money you have, that's a problem. The other thing is South Africa is now talking about price controls. Now we know that prices oh. always go up in a crisis because it's more yeah. expensive to deliver to markets. Um, and you know they're saying it's greedy shop owners. So if they're gonna try and impose prices, everyone to the extent that people respect it in South Africa, nobody respects the law. Um, then basically you're going to have a problem. You're gonna have food shortages. And I would, yeah. you know, the first week of this crisis in France, people were semi-complacent. Now they're just ignoring the police and they're walking in. I was in the shop yesterday. Everyone's in the shop. They just say the police will arrest me if you want. They're gonna throw us all in jail. You cannot. So uh, this type of attitude is going to, to come back and it's going to bite them the second, third week. And I think a guy like Becky Kelly, for example, I just want to see his face, you know, when people just throw him a finger because it's, uh, yeah. it's going to be hilarious. Because it, it reminds me mm. of Etolls as well. I remember when Etolls yeah. was first released and I remember a lot of, a lot of my friends who were, who were law-abiding citizens um, decided that, no, we're going to get this E-tag and we're going to follow the law and everything. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it. And I remember, I, I, I don't know if it was Wayne Duvanach, I don't know, someone who was um, fighting against this. And he even said, listen, if if the government is going to threaten us that they're going to throw us in jail because we don't pay the e-tolls, they can come for us. They can't throw everyone in, in jail. And that and that attitude has already developed with e-tolls already. I remember they released the advert, a very bad advert, trying to make it sound like as if people that are paying e-tolls are doing it in secret. Oh man, that advert was terrible. But was either way, <laughs> like either way, the, the the fact is, when you look at it, like if South Africa, if, if people just say, you know what, to hell with this, the government yeah. can't shoot them up. You know, they can't shoot them up into submission because okay. eventually there's gonna bodies are gonna pile up and the world's gonna see it. So I think so, that's that's what I think that's gonna happen as well with this lockdown. No matter what happens, logic will always prevail. Well, logic yeah, and yeah. reasoning, I suppose. It might take a bit of time, but in the end, logic and reason will prevail. Well, yeah. you know, the, 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 there's a lot to say about our army as well, you know. Um, our army, I know, has a high prevalence of HIV and AIDS, so they should yeah. not be on the streets. Yeah. We yeah. also Whoa. know that the South African <laughs> yeah, army... I South didn't African, know that. <laughs> South I know army, that yeah. yeah, they also... Oh. Point, they were like 80% <laughs> HIV positive at one point. 80%? At one point, yes. Dude, that is like, like, what's going on there, bro? Like, whoa. whoa. So, you know, so you go from them. That's probably the best way to get rid of them, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then you, you also have our army. Um, so this is what, you know, Nicholas Smith told me is that um, apparently our army is one of the biggest distributors of an incurable strain of TB throughout of Africa when they go on whoa. peacekeeping videos. Oh, so <laughs> you, you are what really putting hell? in more diseases in the township. <laughs> this is it's ridiculous, you know. This explains yeah. why the numbers never go down. Yeah, I'm saying it as a as a hepatitis survivor here, you know, like you get sick, you stay at home, you get nursed back to health or you go into ICU and you walk out of there and you're fine and you go join your families and life carries on. Yeah. The moment you don't do that with something that could potentially make you terminally ill, you know, obviously COVID-19 is not one of those. You kind of you you're ruining it, like yeah, like you know what, yeah. <laughs> so and TV is one of those, you know. You get you be, you don't so, go home and chill. You go home, you go to the hospital. You get your medication. You sit in bed. 
uh, you wait until you can join your families again. And if you're telling me that the army, uh, our, our foot soldiers in the army are carrying this to other countries. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's it's a catastrophe waiting to happen. I, I, so I, say I hope that this thing dies because people just get fed up and they, you know, because I mean, now it's Easter. I mean, after Easter, maybe a week more with your family, it's the end of the world. Then you really want to go back to work. And, you know, I mean, I'm on a Facebook group with um, one of my hobbies is to do carpentry and to do um, metalwork. And, you know, there's a lot of South African metal and carpentry workers. They just move their factories to their home and they have ways to get their workers to come, you know, around this. So um, I, I hope that trend continues, like the sneaky trying to evade the laws, which we do. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, there was a, a newspaper article in Italy when this started, and they had a nice title which said, this will be the th first time in 3,000 years that Italians are expected to obey the laws, you know. And it's like, <laughs> that thing, I think, captures the South Africans once as well. <laughs> well first time since they, 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 <laughs> Exactly. So I wanted to ask you a general point, Kruko. I think this is going to be my, my uh, last question personally. I think, uh, just uh, can you comment on the relationship between science and policy and liberty? Like, how should that relationship work? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, liberty, you know, this is a bit of an abstract point. But um, the problem is that the scientists should advise people, but they should not be driving the policy. I mean, that should come from people. And I think there we see a case where scientists, uh, you know, think that their vision of the world is what everyone must follow. Mm. So if you don't understand human nature, you can have the best model in the world. People are not going to follow it. Yeah. I think that this is the, the lesson for me from all of this, you know, whether the scientists... They can advise people, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of scientists who underestimate people's intelligence, you know. Um, yeah. You know, give, give you an example is this one in Marseille, this doctor with the chloroquine. Now, the reason why um, the French government hasn't legalized chloroquine yet is because they say it hasn't been randomized control. So if you prove that a medicine works, you have to control for placebo. You have half the people tested and half the people tested with that, and nobody knows who gets which medicine. You only know afterwards. So, chloroquine... so oh, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, just to rephrase maybe the question uh, so that you can also touch on that aspect as well. Instead of liberty, just substitute individual rights. Well, yeah, ind individual rights have to be respected in all of this stuff. I mean, this is the big problem I think has happened. Um, you had scientists who looked at China, who said China works, let's do that. Without, in that process, they just neglected all the legal traditions and rights and all these, you know, hard-won freedoms that we have throughout the world. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite a constitutionalist. I believe in law and order, but I also believe that in the rule of law, in the sense that government is also watched by watchdogs and that their power is limited. Yeah. And here you are giving government limited, unlimited power and people are very naive. They think government's going to give it back. You know, that's that's the big challenge for us. And yeah. so uh, just to follow up, like, so if, if there's a serious threat that scientists have identified, how should that work? Should should government be able to essentially force us to save like our save us from ourselves? I mean, uh, the only uh, throughout history you have to look at examples for that. I mean, I suspect the Second World War where people went to fight for against Hitler. I mean, there's a reasonable argument to say that was a good war. Um, you know, any other war since then we realize has been a pissing match between two countries. So in general, you find that you know governments take threats, they exaggerate it, and they tell us we are a threat, and then they want power. And this is an example of that. So what should the scientists do? They should inform the people. But, you know, is the threat that serious? You know, this is, this is, it depends on the severity of the threat, I guess. You know, I'm very skeptical of trying to take people's rights away as a solution to follow a threat or to solve a threat, you know.
Yeah. Um, and that's, I think also that that's a very important thing about it. Like, guys, sometimes your liberties are important. And if the government takes it away just for safety reasons, it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, that they are actually going to give it back. Because I'm actually really interested to see how this, actually, how this South African government is actually going to try and give our liberties back, if they even try anyway. But I doubt they will. Well, apparently in the UK, you know, on that point, um, there's a lot of rules in the UK which are very totalitarian, but they've never been enforced. They were passed in the 80s and the 70s, and now the government's trying to use these old rules as saying these rules always exist. We're going to try and enforce them. (laughs) So um, the way I look at it is that you have two legal ways that law generally develops. Um, You have the one where government makes the rules and we all try and follow it. That almost never works. Then you have a rule which the people follow it because it's in their traditions and in their own habits. And that's generally South Africa. I mean, South Africa's got a lot of rules which nobody understands or knows and nobody follows. And now the government's going to say, well, this is the rule, you need to follow it. And I suspect it's going to develop like that where the resistance of the population is going to be so big that, you know, whether the government's there, we don't really care. We're going to go on with our lives. Yeah. (laughs) Man, 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 man. It's crazy. Eh? It's, I, yeah, I just yeah. hope it doesn't get bad. I just hope it yeah. doesn't get bad. I just hope the government, I hope they, they start to relax more um, of these ridiculous things. Let's say, for example, I heard the Western Cape government as well said you can get cigarettes now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then now Peggy Kele has actually come and said, no, cigarettes are still illegal. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah Peggy Kele yeah. can say what he wants. Hey, and did you hear now how those guys, like, how... Um, there were three people who were caught like insulting him on a video, and now these guys are facing trial. Like, yeah. what is this? This is this is like um this is this is crazy totalitarianism. Now you can't yeah. criticize someone in power. I, I feel yeah. like he was a kid that was bullied at school or something, and now he's trying to beat everyone back. You know, like he's never gotten <laughs> over it. Like it's just you know, if somebody makes a joke out of you, you know, you're not that serious. You know, you look like exactly. a clown anyways. You know, yeah. hopefully it doesn't exactly. come and take me out in France. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just like you know honestly, like for me, if I, if I was him, just let it go, just drop the charges, guys. Come on, I mean, there are people out there doing real criminal stuff, and now you worried about someone making a joke about you. Come on, that's yeah. that's not right, man. That's but, just... you know that, that's one thing I've been to about thirty countries in the world, and it's one thing I appreciate the most about South Africa is we tell people exactly what we think of you. You know, yeah. whether, you know, it's always nice that we're saying it's a different question, but, you know, you cannot do that in countries like Iran, in South Korea, in, you know, China, even in some European countries, they've got more free speech limits than we've got. You know, sure. even the, just, just in the, the own civil culture in Germany, you cannot, you know, make a joke about, you cannot, you know, make a jokes uh, signal about the Holocaust, even if it's in bad taste, you know, mm-hmm. different things like this. And I mean, like in South Africa, we can generally get away with most things, you know, in the, yeah. in the last few years, there's been some crap down, crackdown on free speech, which worries me a little bit, because the thing is that if you do not, um, so I think it's a quote from Chomsky who said, if you do not believe in free speech for people that you despise, you don't believe in a concept at all. You know, yeah, and yeah. that is mm-hmm. so South Africa's government at this stage. It's like it's free speech as long as you agree with me. Otherwise, it's not free speech anymore. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it's going to be a pushback. I hope everyone now makes fun of Becky Kelly. He looks like a clown. You know, he's got a funny face. <laughs> you, you can tell him all these things. We should we should t- take the video the kids make and distribute it all over the internet so everyone can see him. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I just found that silly, to be honest. Uh, like, it's it's like a mini yeah. Idi Amin, you know. Like, really, we don't need this stuff anymore. 
Really, it's 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 it's, it's and ministers coming in with like you know so Soviet style caps and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on who was this? I, who was I, this? Uh, Linda Wezulu. I think they're oh, just so excited that they have so much power that they've been craving for so long that they finally get to exercise this power against us. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Say, and now they rip. I'm oh, sorry. Continue. No, say, uh, they, they've got some kind of minority complex or inferiority complex or something. Like they just cannot get over themselves and say, guys, you are, you know, our ministers, you're not as important as you think we are. And do you really want to know what we think of you? It's very little, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like some of us are trying to get paid here, you know. Some of us don't <laughs> exactly. have a job. Some of us don't have a job. Some of us are going to lose our jobs. And yeah, it's worrying you know? that not a single member of the opposition has really opposed this lockdown. Like, they just all fell into line. Well, um, I yeah. spoke to individual members of the DA, which I know, and they are opposing it, but they cannot speak out because they're scared that they will lose their job in Parliament. And this, to me, is a consequence of our political system, yeah. where we have this party system and we don't have a constituency-based system. Yeah. So it's very difficult yeah. for people to dissent. I bet you there's lots of people in the ANC and the DA who think this is bloody stupid. Yeah. But they know that the parties have said it and we are following the reader like a bunch of sheep, you know. So I hope they start speaking out. Um, oh, so you're saying that if, if, if someone from the DA dissents openly, he can get kicked out as an MP from the DA. Basically. Yes, because they, they, they well, nominate the federal the council folks. will kick you out. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. Ah, right? what the hell, bruh? No, yeah. they, we need to change this thing, bruh. Because I, yeah. I heard one guy even saying that um, uh, he said that, that our South African our democracy is not a good one. He believes that we should have something similar to the US and for some odd reason, I don't know why, but he said one of the, one of that was a criticism was that, it, that the party thing is not the greatest. Because I see even in America, like when Donald Trump even tried to repeal Obamacare and there were some Republicans that said no, you know, and he didn't get enough votes. Now I'm saying in South Africa, that'll never happen because if you say no, they just kick you out and they get someone to replace you and exactly. then they vote. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, um, this has been a critique against South Africa for a while. There's only two countries that has this bad system. It's us and Botswana. And in Botswana is the, the exact same system. You know, uh, you, you know I, I think the Dutch have got something similar to us, but it's the Dutch. They've got a million different parties. So maybe there it works, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's it's a really bad system. So, I mean, that's the one reform, which I think I think it was Frederick von Sell-Slubbert who said we must change the reform. Uh, Tauben Bay, he was advised to do it. And then he was just ignoring the thing at that time. And he had that golden opportunity to say electoral reform. And the yeah. joke was, at the time when he was advised, the predictions was that the ANC would have gotten more votes. You know, So it's not as if they would have lost the next election because we mm -hmm. changed the system. You know, It's just yeah. they would have gotten more opinion. And this is yeah. the big issue we have because the guys in the township in those areas, their leaders are chosen for them because they're on the party list. Mm. So that's why we don't get any you know, democrat democracy coming from the bottom. Yeah. So, so and it, yeah. it, it ends up creating things like service delivery protests and so on. Yeah, all those things. Those voices are unheard because you know those yeah. politicians yeah. cannot do anything. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So basically, like the guys in the township, if they vote for, let's say, ANC, they'll vote for a particular individual, not necessarily the president. Right. Now, that yeah. makes sense, and then that way they'll get better representation. Within, yeah, and, uh, and it and it doesn't uh, matter if that yeah. individual is in the ANC for me. It matters that it's the individual because it's mm -hmm. you know he needs to at times saying, listen, my party is bloody ridiculous. I mean, how many ANC members didn't disagree with Zuma? I bet half of them did, if not ninety yeah. percent. But they couldn't yeah. say a single thing because if you say you're check, you're kicked out of parliament and you're unemployed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah, the I think, I, I think that's. 
I think the problem with this, even at local government level, is we go into a local government election. I believe we have those coming up next year. And uh, we effectively vote for individuals, but those individuals are really just there to represent their parties. But going yep. back to what Mpiaki was saying, that now when it comes to these service delivery protests, is uh, conveniently the people who are protesting bypass their local government representation and want to march straight to uh, the, 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 the party's senior office, for example. They want to march straight to a government institution or a government office. They never actually hold their local politicians accountable for not ensuring that services were delivered. That's really the problem with this whole system that I have always uh, wanted to know, is there a solution to this or how do you actually rethink the system? You know, how, how can that be done? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big political science, but I, a scientist, but I, I do know that at times when those guys were held responsible, the houses were burned down, you know, so it was serious Whoa. responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we are yeah. also good at showing people that we're angry. Um, yeah. I, I don't but know. Yeah, to, to burn down the guy's house and then when he gets replaced by someone else, again, you're voting for someone from the same party who's taking instructions from above. So the new guy isn't really going to do anything different. It just means, right, there's a line that uh, the new councillor mustn't cross. Uh, but yeah, if he crosses a uh, certain line, it's his, it's his house to go next. Yeah, it's well. Maybe you burn all the houses down. You don't have a politician anymore. <laughs> you get down or, get rid of, or get rid of I, local uh, government. I support that. I support that idea. Yeah, get rid of local government, maybe, uh, and just go national and provincial, or get rid of provincial and just have local and national. I don't know. Yeah, provincial. I, I, I mean, that's say... also useless in my view. I, I don't see what provincial does. I've never understood. Yeah, it. I, I just yeah. think yeah. those guys just chill. Like when I look at Makuro, I'm like, Makuro, wait, what's going on, bro? Like. <laughs> what are the what are, what's the job of the premier? He's just you know uh, you know what killed me the one time they had the state of the province ad address. I'm like what state of the province? Yeah. Like, yeah, who it happens cares about year. that? Who it watches that? Year. Like, but well, come on, Brad, don't tell me you watch that. You you watch yeah, that? I I I I'm just I I I I support like having provinces for now just because it provides a counterpoint that doesn't exist anywhere else in our political yeah. system. I mean, if you know if not for the Western Cape, many more bad things. Okay, exactly. okay, okay. If fair. not for the Western yeah. Cape, yeah. many more bad things would have happened in South Africa, I believe. No, but yeah. I, I agree. You can have that on municipality level. You can have different municipalities. Exactly. That's fine. Yes. I mean, yeah. get rid yes. of the province. You know, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I've yeah. never understood what they are doing. They, they, uh, at least now in the Western Cape, we know they can give you cigarettes. You know, so there's, there's something. <laughs> <to it. laughs> no, you know what? If, if they, if they remove the provincial layer but devolve the powers to the local level, I would support that. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, that's what a lot of people are actually calling for. But again, this would require electoral reform. I actually keep track of the state of the province address. And one of the, uh, so ours in Gauteng happened earlier this year. And one of the things I picked out from that was uh, for the past three, four years, there seems to be this big focus on, uh, in, 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 in the premier's exact words, even as predecessors, the, the township economy. You know, there's always this push about the township economy, the township economy. Yeah. I'm just thinking uh, from the position where I'm sitting, having majored in business management, you know, uh, there's two types of trade, uh, your main types, really, your informal trade and your formal trade. Township economy is made up majority by informal trade. Informal trade does nothing to the governments. The, the, this is now the state's coffers, you know. Yeah. So we're sitting with this tax deficit. Again, uh, we can talk about tax on another day, but we're sitting with this big tax deficit. And the province is focused on 
an economic sector that doesn't even look to solving that problem. So again, uh, priorities completely wrong. You know, yeah, if you're going like to that. prioritize, if you're going to prioritize economic development, you do it at a level where you know you can actually extract things like value-added tax, pays you earn, uh, that sort of thing. Not to uh, not to make sure that someone uh, can buy a two-rand cigarette from the guy outside. For me, that's township economy. For me, at the, at its most basic level, and it's not going to do anything to actually move our country forward in this tough economic time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing I think you can mention is what do we do after this thing? Let's because this is now three weeks it's going to do. Yeah. People are going to lose their jobs. That's guaranteed. We might go into a we will go into a global recession. Hopefully we don't go into depression, but I think that's very likely now if you see at the credit that the stock markets, the levels they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what is the sensible thing for governments to do at this stage? And or let's say, what will they do? And history has shown that they will try and stimulate the economy and inflate away the currency. Yeah. As we say, you know, history is inflation and finding excuses to do so. I think it is an excuse. And uh, let's take this, let's say in the best case scenario, the stimulus does actually work out. Uh, if you take an industry like the, like the motoring industry, uh, I don't think anyone's buying uh, new cars after this is done. You know, so you can go and stimulate, uh, you can go add stimuli to all of those factories as much mm -hmm. as you want. Coming from a consumer level, I don't think anyone's buying a new car. So, and again, we know that you need to have new cars being bought to actually drive that entire sector. No one's going to buy a new car after this. So that entire industry is going to uh, suffer. Uh, luxury yeah. goods, all of these things are going to mm -hmm. suffer. Uh, the only the only uh, industry I see that can weather this out is uh, outside of uh, your big players like your finance and your mining is probably fast-moving consumer goods, mm -hmm. and that's we all know that is where the bulk of the uh, of foreigners are actually being employed. So expect more of that to happen when we come out of this as well, which isn't going to make people too happy either. So expect even more service delivery protests. Yeah, it's it's a rolling ball. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. xenophobia, all these type of things, because I mean, they yeah. get placed first. And that's that's the one I'm worried about is that you just, I mean, the township areas sometimes are like the petrol's already been poured. You just need the match to light it, you know. Yeah. There's lots yeah. of underlying issues and wait for the politician to come and blame this guy or that guy. Um, also, I think globally, um, people are definitely blaming China all of this. <laughs> Maybe rightfully so. I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily. China. He said so last week. <laughs> China's CCP. The CCP, the China are the are now the new evil empire. Remember the the West. This is my theory about this: is that the Western armies for a very long time was looking for an enemy because they had the Cold War, they had this massive military spending worldwide, and then they were looking around the world after you know Gorbachev. Um, you know this anecdote here, like Gorbachev before the Soviet Union collapsed, one of his advisors. He went into the press conference and he said to the guys, you guys are going to hate us because I'm doing something that nobody's ever done to you. I've deprived you of an enemy. And then the Soviet <laughs> Union collapsed, right? So they have these massive armies and people asking, why do we need an army like this? So they said, well, uh, let's try and find people that are dictators. So Tony Blair found some guy in Sierra Leone, but it's not really Hitler, you know. It's not the same thing as, as Stalin. They found Saddam Hussein. We realized they lied us into that war as well in Syria, all these things. And now we see the wars in the Middle East and Afghanistan have ended. I mean, it's no surprise that a few months ago, Trump signed the deal with the Taliban. And America's energy independent. They don't need them in the Middle East anymore. Mm -hmm. So now we need an enemy because otherwise we have to cut back on military and government spending. And nobody's going to yeah. do that. You know, no no and American president is going to do that. <laughs> so yeah. for me, it's obvious. The new enemy is the coronavirus coming from China. So it's all eyes on the Chinese, you know.
<laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, Peter Schiff makes a good point about that. Uh, Trump was comparing the response to COVID-19 to the Second World War. And, uh, and Peter Schiff replies, well, in the Second World War, we didn't pay everyone to not fight. <laughs> yeah. So, true. <laughs> so yeah so i mean that's that's the global thing i mean uh, definitely anti-chinese sentiment is gonna rise i mean i mean it's not that the chinese are innocent they lied to the world about this and people are already going at them so we'll see um you know, hopefully south africa's government changes our you know stops being china's little boy and uh, exactly. goes up a little bit we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes yeah all right, guys. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think we kind of exhausted everything yeah. that we wanted to yeah. talk about. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay, guys. Uh, thanks for coming through. Um, any any um, thing that you guys want to say before the end of the podcast? We'll start with you, Hugo. Yeah. So just um, as I said, I'm starting to think of the aftermath of this thing. Um, world economy will not be the same coming in. You know, going out as it came coming in. Some industries are gone for good. And I just hope people find ways to adapt to the new world that's going to come. You will find something if you, you know, you're going to be unemployed for a few months or whatever. But I hope that, you know, there's not too much suffering coming from this. Okay. Yeah. And Koketo? Well, uh, I'll do what I'll always, <clears throat> always do from now on. So I'm looking at what's trending right now. Uh, notably, Bill Gates is trending right now. Uh, Bill Gates came out and said, I think he's going to fund uh, construction or, yeah, he's going to fund the factories that are going to produce this vaccine. And he's also calling for 10 more weeks of a lockdown. So that's why he's trending. <laughs> ah, uh, Bill, come on. Just, ki- just give your money and don't talk about the lockdown. Just say, yeah, yeah my good. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Second thing, there's Rich a hashtag. Enough, shut up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or rich enough to say what he wants when he wants. How's that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Second thing trending here, uh, hashtag Africans are not lab rats. So apparently two scientists uh, a couple of days ago came out and said that, uh, you know, they believe we're very close to getting to the stage where we can test a potential vaccine and they want to test it in certain African countries. Now, uh, half the continent on Twitter is coming out saying we are not your lab rats. Uh, I believe one of the scientists was actually a French guy. So how one French guy, when one French guy says something, now we are hearing about how France is this, France is that, France is this. Uh, Well, it it doesn't Uh, surprise me. You know, that thing is, uh, I mean, the French government has um, lied about this drug cure, the chloroquine, they knew in January, they reclassified it in January as toxic, very conveniently, you know, and there's big, big speculation that Monsieur Macron's Minister of Finance is being indebted by pharmaceutical companies. So there's another scandal that's coming out of this, you know, from Mm. the French. Mm. And they are pushing vaccines, they're pushing all this type of things. I mean, I'm not against vaccines, but, you know, if you have an easy treatment, why vaccinate? Something like that. So yeah, testing yeah. it in Africa, that just adds a little extra layer of evil onto something that's already brewing. Mm. Yeah, that's hectic. Yeah, and there's that. So yeah, that's it from me. All right, and you, Mpiake? Oh uh, well, I just I just wanted to share a quote. I don't know. I think I might have shared this before, but I I think I don't know. I, it seems to me like a lot of people are too stupid to get it, so I'll, I'll keep repeating, repeating it until they do. Yes. <laughs> so the, the quote comes from Thomas Jefferson in a, lot, in a letter he wrote in 1816 to Colonel, Colonel Charles Yancey. And uh, it says, uh, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, 
it ex- expects what never was and never will be. So think for yourself, study for yourself. Don't just take anyone's word for it, no matter how many qualifications they have. Just always be a critical thinker because ultimately your liberties are protected by you and no one else. Mm-hmm. That's it. Agreed. That's deep. Man. All right. <laughs> so that's true. And as for me, yeah, man, like guys got to protect yourself, man. That's it. With this COVID-19, protect yourself. Get your guns. Um, you know, wash your hands, do whatever, man. And also get some knowledge on it as well. And also don't trust the government too much as well. Just protect yourself. And yeah, yeah that's it. That's it from me. And then also, guys, um, look, with regards to the donations, um, we appreciate the donations. And like, guys, if you want to hold back on it for a while, no problem. You may do so. Um, I don't mind. I'm not going to chase you. Um, yeah. And le- yeah, and we appreciate um, the donation that you've given us so far. And also, I mean, there are other do- there are other drives for this COVID nineteen relief plan and everything. And if you want to donate to that, rather, that's great. But all the scraps that you have left over, you can give them to us. No problem. We'll take anything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take anything. But if you have sp- if you have spare money lying around, you know, you know, ten rand, fifteen rand, whatever, man, I don't care. One rand, give it to us, bro. Like we 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 don't mind. All right, guys, and I think that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks, the guests, the contributors, everyone. Thanks. We, I really appreciate it. Really great show, and I think the guys are going to love this. And as for me, guys, yeah, I will see you next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Okay.